2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound judgment. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound judgment. You know, there are clues when you read the New Testament that Timothy was probably timid by nature. In fact, Kent Hughes believed he was an introvert. Uh, We can see clues of that in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul was sending Timothy to go and minister to to the Christians at Corinth. And this is what he says. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the Lord's work as I am. Why in the world would you give a note like that? It's almost like he's saying, handle him with kit gloves. You know, his personality is such he's got to be dealt with gently. But another indication that he may be somebody who was gripped by a continual spirit of fear that needed to be addressed was the fact that he had a stomach problem. You see that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. You know, there have been many studies that show a definite link between anxiety, if somebody's riddled with anxiety, and stomach troubles. So all of these things give us the clue that he may have been someone who was naturally timid, naturally shy. So what we're going to see in these verses is what God does to help a timid person become bold. What does God give us to help a timid person become bold? And what you find is God's provision for a timid person is the Holy Spirit. Uh, I believe when he talks about rekindled the gift in you, he's specifically talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes at salvation. We can see that referenced by Peter in his Pentecost sermon in Acts 2.38. He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is is said to be the gift God gives us when we become a Christian. And so I believe what he's saying is the Holy Spirit will lift you out of that being captured by fear, being becoming, it takes a timid person and turns them into a bold person. Now, this particular translation we're using said rekindle the gift. I think the ESV is, is more accurate for what the Greek word means, and I'll put that on the board for you here. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. The title of my message today is Fan the Flame of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is literally shown throughout the New Testament to be a producer of of fire in our hearts. Remember Pentecost Day? Tongues of fire came upon their heads. Isn't that a beautiful symbol of the fact that because the Holy Spirit's come now, fire resides on them? Uh, John the Baptist, when he was preaching, he said, repent and be baptized because he will, no, he said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So you find the connection between the Holy Spirit and with fire. So here's the bottom line. I want you to get this truth. God wants us to be on fire Christians. Back in 1975, uh, my boss at the Baptist Home Mission Board was sending me on weekends to do retreats for typical Baptist churches. I went to Rock Eagle Campground in Georgia, and I met a group, and as soon as I got there, I could tell this is a bunch of kids that they played church. You know, This was just a, a time to get away and have fun. So that first night I was with him, I said, I've not met y'all before. I want to kind of take your spiritual temperature. And by the way, I had no tactfulness in that day and time. And I would not do this now. 
But I said, I want to take your spiritual temperature. So let me ask you a question. How many in this room would say you are on fire for Jesus? Jesus is the passion of your heart. He's absolute Lord of your life. You want to see people come to know him more than anything. How many of you would say you're an on fire Christian? Raise your hand. Two or three. Two or three is all that did. I said, how many of you would say you are so cold to God that the only reason you're here is to have fun and you're planning to sleep through all the messages and truth of the matter is you want God to do nothing with your life. You're that cold. How many of you would say you're that? And nobody raised their hand. And so I said, well, how many of you would say you're somewhere between the extremes? You're not passionately on fire, but you're not cold to God. You're somewhere in the middle between those two things. Everybody else raised their hand. And I went, would you like to hear what God thinks about your youth group? (laughs) So I read this verse, Revelations chapter 3. I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. So that's what God thinks about you. I've learned grace since then, thank God. But later on, in a few verses later, after when God is addressing the church at, at, at Laodicea, he gives them the solution to lukewarmness. He says, many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And that Greek word zealous literally means be burning. You're, you're lukewarm now. Be burning and repent. So what I'm going to do today in this sermon, we're going to present to you three questions that we'll answer. First question is this. What are the evidences that someone is an on-fire Christian? Second thing we're going to look at is, what is the indication that the fire is going down in the Christian's life? And then thirdly, how do you fan the flames of the Holy Spirit's fire? Let's take that first question. What are the evidences that someone is an on-fire Christian? We're told specifically what those evidences are in verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. A timid person like Timothy would never be bold on his own. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to turn somebody timid into someone bold. I think the example that proves that the Holy Spirit's the difference between being fearful and being bold is Peter. When they arrested Jesus, he was standing outside the courtyard of where the trial was going on. And three times he denied that he knew him. And and the Bible says the last time it was a little teenage girl that came up and said, aren't you one of his? And he cussed and said he didn't know him. Fifty days later, the Holy Spirit came on him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up in Jerusalem and with boldness said, you killed Jesus, but God raised him. You need to repent right now. So the coward became bold because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Justin and I talked through the sermons, and we always have a last time we talk on Sunday mornings. And he said, let me tell you what I want to share with you at this point. So I've got to share it with you too. Many of you have not been downstairs to experience the modern service. Uh, Last Sunday, our 1030 modern service was our largest attended service. So God's blessing us down there. And the leader uh, who leads the worship is Taylor. That is Justin's brother. There have never been two brothers more unalike than Justin and Taylor. Justin is an extrovert people person. Uh, Taylor is quiet. He would prefer to be in the background, very introspective. Uh, Justin said, here's, here's this man who has this great gift of writing music and leading in worship. He said, but when he was first approached about leading worship, he said, I can't do it. I can't get up there in front of people with a guitar 
and lead people in worship. But by faith, he claimed the power of the Holy Spirit and he stood up on the platform. And I want to tell you something that blesses me. It blesses me just to be a part of that worship, but because I know him, it blesses me more. When he is standing on that platform, that introvert forgets that people are there. Forgets any fear that he might have because he's so caught up in the power of the Holy Spirit as he leads us in a humble way, leads us into the presence of Jesus. And the difference is the power of the Holy Spirit. So how, what is the indication you're an on-fire Christian? Power. Secondly, an on-fire Christian is filled with love. He said, uh, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. Now, I, I'm brokenhearted at what's happening, not just in the secular culture, but even in the Christian culture. Because a lot of people now say, I'm on fire and I'll prove it online. I will clean clocks in the name of Jesus. I will, I will attack everybody that's wrong and, and they just lambast them with vitriol. Now, folks, I want, I want to say this before God and it is true. We never avoid any moral subject in this, in this culture. We address everyone. But Jesus laid out for us how we're to do it in the Bible. And in Ephesians 4, for instance, it says, speak the truth in love. And Jesus did not say they will know you're my disciples by your anger. He said they will know you're my disciples by your love. And it's only when I allow the Holy Spirit to clothe me with love that I'm the truly on fire Christian that I should be. Let me give you an example. In 1967, Doug Nichols was a young missionary in India. He contracted the scourge of that area, tuberculosis. And he was put in a tuberculosis sanatorium there in India. What that was, you can't imagine how primitive that was. It was one big room with cots. And at night, there was not a single person in there to take care of the people who were coughing and coughing up blood all night long. Just put in this big room with cots. Uh, Doug said the other folks in there resented him because they thought he was a rich American because all Americans are rich. And he thought, they don't know how poor I am. I'm here because I've got nowhere else to go. And so he went to that TB sanatorium. He said one night he was awakened by coughing and there was an old man and he tried to get up, could not find the strength, fell back on his bed. Tried to get up again, could not get up, fell back on his bed. The next morning, everyone in the room knew he had soiled himself. And when the nurse came in and saw the mess, she walked over and slapped him. He said, the next night I woke up hearing him coughing and I was weak. I could hardly get up myself. But I made myself get out of the bed. I walked up and I got him under the arm and helped him get out of that bed. And I took him to the restroom where he could relieve himself. And then I put him back in his bed and listened to what it said. As I carried him to the restroom, which was just a small, filthy room with a hole in the floor, I stood behind him with my arms under his armpits as he took care of himself. As he finished, I picked him up and carried him back to his bed. And as I laid him down, he kissed me on the cheek, smiled and said something I could not understand. The next morning, another patient woke me up and handed me a steaming cup of tea. He motioned with his hands that he wanted a tract. As the sun rose, other patients approached and indicated they wanted the booklets that I had tried to give them before. Throughout the day, nurses, interns, and doctors asked for literature. When they found someone who by the Holy Spirit was clothed with power and love, that opened their hearts to the gospel. And then lastly, please get this. 
An on-fire Christian is guided by sound judgment. An on-fire Christian is guided by sound judgment. Can I make something real clear to you? I want you to get this down because so many folks like to watch TBN and other channels and to get some of that stuff on them. Listen here. The Holy Spirit never leads you to do stupid stuff. The Holy Spirit never leads you to do stupid stuff. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound judgment. King James, sound mind. The Greek word is logikos. Get our word logical from it. So when the Holy Spirit's leading you, it will not be something that's stupid. When I was a seminary student, I got a job at an 11-story parking garage, and I was trying to win the fellow employees who happened to all be either drug addicts or alcoholics. <laughs> One seminary student, then alcoholics and drug addicts parking your cars. Anyway, uh, I was trying to win them to Jesus. One day I was on the top of the parking garage. I looked down and there was a man in a business suit and he put his thumbs underneath his armpits and was raving his arms like he was a bird. And he was whistling up in the sky like he was a bird. Well, I've never been shy. So I walked out of the garage, walked across the street. And as I walked out, he reached into his pocket and handed me a tract. And he said, the Holy Spirit told me to come and Whistle like a dove, and then the Holy Spirit would bring people that I could lead to Jesus. I said, sir, I'm trying to win the people to Christ across the street. Could you whistle on another block? <laughs> There's no way I can explain to lost people that that guy thought he was being led by the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite Christian songwriters and favorite Christians was a man named Keith Green. What a man of God. He's still beloved. He died in 1982. That was 41 years ago. And Justin looked him up and see what, do you know that he averages 150,000 people who listen to his songs on Spotify every month? And some of his songs have had over 5 million downloads where people put it permanently on their phone. He's still somebody that touches people's lives. I remember in 1980, he put out a hymn, uh, me, he put out an album and he did something different because he said, I'm, I'm not in this as a business. He said, I'll send you an album if you just ask me. If you can give something, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. And folks, 20% of the people that sent in a request for the album sent nothing in and he sent him an album. I sent him the total sum of $10 <laughs> and I got that album and it blessed my socks off. And one of the songs that gripped me, it's not one of his most famous songs, so you may not have heard it. It was called, I Pledge My Head to Heaven. Let, let me read you the words of this song. I, 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 I sang it to the Lord this morning. Well, I pledge my head to heaven for the gospel. And I ask no man on earth to fill my needs. Like the sparrow up above, I am enveloped in his love. And I trust him like those little ones he feeds. Well, I pledge my wife to heaven for the gospel, though our love each passing day just seems to grow. As I told her when we wed, I'd surely rather be found dead than to love her more than the one who saved my soul. Well, I pledge my son to heaven for the gospel, though he's kicked and beaten, ridiculed, and scorned. I will teach him to rejoice and lift a thankful, praising voice to be like him who bore the nails and crown of thorns. This man loved the Lord. 
He developed a compound in East Texas and people were coming there to live and to be taught and all of that there. He rented a Cessna plane for his ministry. One day a visitor was there and said, could we go up in the plane? I want to see from above all that's going on here. And that day he put four, no, he put 12 people in that small Cessna plane. He was 29. Two of his kids were in the plane. Put 12 people in the plane and it crashed. The FAA, as it does every plane crash, investigated and estimated that there were more than 450 pounds past the weight limit for that plane. He just stuffed it with people. And I'm sure this person thought, Keith thought, God's going to take care of me. I can, put, I can put all these people in here and God won't let us crash. Well, folks, God does not throw away the law of gravity. God does not say you cannot, you don't have to abide by the rules of the FAA. And I believe he so unnecessarily died at age 29. God doesn't lead us to do stupid stuff. Second thing. Here's the second question for the day. What is the indication that the fire is going down in the Christian life? What is the indication that the fire is going down in the Christian life? Let me give you this sentence, and I hope this will grip you. The fire is going down when fear is going up. The fire is going down when fear is going up. And folks, look what he says. God did not give us a spirit of fear. Can we just be honest? This is a scary world right now. We were supposed to be sending 54 people over to Israel the day after Christmas, and that's been postponed. Justin's been the main one talking with the, the uh, tour person that we've used. I've used him for 20-something years, and, and uh, the thing I love is that he's in Atlanta. His sister's in Jerusalem, and so they can take care of you there as well as here. So a, a great team, small enough to give you personal attention. Well, I talked to him this week myself. I've never seen such fear in Samir's life, in his heart. He said, I'm in my 70s. I've never seen anything like this with so many lining up against Israel right now. He said, I'm not, I'm not concerned that my business won't last. I'm concerned that my family won't be here. They live in Jerusalem. And so, folks, this is a scary time. You turn on the news and some of our senior adults watch far too much news. You turn on the news and you find yourself gripped by fear. And, but it's not just that. I know folks right now that have gotten a diagnosis that has caused them to be gripped by fear. Some of you are facing economic challenges and you're wondering, I'm going to go under. And that, that causes you to be fearful. But, but let me explain something. Regardless of what's happening in the world, God does not want you to be gripped by fear. If you fear, feel fear coming strong on you, it's time to fan the flame of the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest examples of someone who didn't express fear was Ruth Graham's mother. Ruth Graham grew up as the daughter of missionary, a missionary doctor and his wife. She grew up in China. And when the Japanese invaded China, now you've got to understand, that was scary times. There, the place that they served, the hospital they served in, was right at the border where Jap Japan had conquered that far and was always the threat that they would go on and conquer more. And if, and if the Japanese came in and you were foreign, it, you, you were in a prison war camp. They chose to stay. And Ruth said this, she said, I never went to bed as a child during that time without hearing gunfire. She said one time she looked out her window and there was a ball of fire that had come up at the edge of town. 
because of a bomb that had gone off from the Japanese. But this is what she said. Her mother stayed absolutely calm during all this. Her mother never showed her children any fear. And because her mother gave that example of a life without fear, she said, I never had any fear. I could hear gunfire. I could see a bomb go off, but I looked at mama. And she was as calm as she could be because God did not give us a spirit of fear. So third question today for this sermon. How do you fan the flames of the Holy Spirit's fire? How do you fan the flames of the Holy Spirit fire? If you found fear rising and, and you found the, 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 the faith going down, the fire going down, how do you get the fire back? Three things. Number one, you can fan the flame of the Holy Spirit by intentionally drawing close to God. By intentionally drawing close to God. In James 4.8, it says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. As we were talking this through, Justin said, look at Moses when he went up to the top of Mount Sinai. He was in the presence of God face to face, 40 days. And then he walked down from the mountain and was totally unaware of the fact that his face was so glowing from being in the presence of God that it hurt the people looking. He had to take a veil and put it over his face because the fire of God was on him from being in the presence of God. Many of you have camped out or been to a bonfire in the winter. Have you noticed that close to the fire it's warm, but if you start backing up from the fire, you get cold? The fire is God's presence. So what you need to do is you need to go and get into the presence of God and He'll restore that fire. Pray till you get hot. Pray till you get hot. As a teenager, I shared a room with my brother in a small house. I was being taught the importance, this is what they called it, the quiet time. That's the time where you read the Bible and pray with God. But if you live with your brother in a small house, there is no such critter as a quiet time. So I was trying to have one, but it was just almost impossible. My dad was watching me grow in the Lord. My dad had by hand welded together a camping trailer. He came to me one day and gave me a key. He said, I want that to be the place where you have your quiet time. Let that be your sanctuary. Just go every day, anytime you want to meet with God, you go get in that camper. It is yours to meet with God. And that became my sanctuary. That was where I met God. But I'll be honest with you because I think we need to be honest. There are times when our emotions go on a roller coaster. There are times when we feel the fire and sometimes we don't feel anything. And there were several times that I walked into that trailer, shut the door, and I said to God, God, I don't want to be here. (laughs) I don't want to pray. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't feel any of that right now. But I'm not leaving till I'm on fire again with you. And I'll tell you this is my testimony. I went in many times cold, but I always came out hot. Because he said, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And then second way that you can get the fire back. You fan the flame of the Holy Spirit when you fill your heart with God's word. You fan the flame of the Holy Spirit when you fill your heart with God's word. There's so many times when God's word is said to be like a fire. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like fire? This is the Lord's declaration. And like a hammer that pulverizes rock, God's word is said to be a fire. When I take his word in, it just becomes a fire inside of me. Later on in Jeremiah, by the way, Jeremiah preached 40 years and never had anybody believe him. Not a single convert. 
Somewhere during that time, he says, that's it, I quit. I'm going to speak no more in his name. And this is what he said in Jeremiah. But then his, his word became a fire in my bones and I had to speak. So there's something about the word that produces fire inside of us. Jesus walked two men home from toward Emmaus from Jerusalem after all the events, the crucifixion, the rumor of the resurrection had happened. And as he walked, he gave them a Bible lesson. Wouldn't you have loved to heard his Bible study when he went from Genesis to Malachi and said, here I am, here I am, here I am. As he left them, this is what they said in Luke 24, 32. Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? There's something about the word being explained that puts fire. Can, can I ask you this? We preach verse by verse through the Bible. We, you get the word when you come here. Have there been Sundays when you came in cold and then as the word was explained, fire came into your soul. So if you feel the fire going out, increase the dosage of the word that you're taking in. Number three, if, how do you get the fire going again? You fan the flame of the Holy Spirit when you spend time with on fire Christians. When you spend time with on fire Christians, I was taught as a young Christian the example of the coal fire. When I was in Scotland in the 80s, the people warmed their houses by coal. And so they would literally get coal bins and they would take the coals and put them in there and set them on fire. And that's what kept the home warm. If you take one of those, get a thong and take one of, uh, take one of those coals out and put it, a tong, excuse me, not a thong, tong. If you get a tong and put one of those coals out by itself, uh, then, then it won't be long before that coal goes out. But if all the coals stay together, they keep each other warm. I was raised up in the typical dead church with a typical dead youth group. We all played church, and on Monday you couldn't tell we'd been to church. Then I was invited to be at the Campus Crusade High School meetings, and for the first time in my life, I ran into on-fire Christians my age. I didn't know they existed. And when I started hanging out with on-fire Christians, I got on fire. When I went off to college, the first thing I did the first week there, I went and sought out on-fire Christians on that campus, and we stuck with each other through college. And college was a place where I grew in the Lord because I hung around on-fire Christians. Now, I'm going to say something controversial now, but I've got to say it. If you've been in a dead church, you need to get out. I know there are people who say, this has been my church, I've got to be loyal to it. I've known of people who raised their children in dead churches and lost the opportunity to expose their kids to an on-fire youth group or on-fire Christians around them. You can't do that. You've got to find a church that's on fire and plant yourself in it. So let me repeat a line I've already used. If the fire is going down, fear is going up. So can I ask you, which is true of you today? Is fear going up or is the fire going up? Will you pray with me about that? Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will put new fire in us. Lord, I don't want to go out in my old age as someone who's just lukewarm. I want to die on fire. So flood us with the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.